Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings. But let's face it, it's mostly about the Middle-earth strategy battle game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 39. Today, I'm here with a man who can be harder to track down than the mysterious Sasquatch. It's Mr. Andrew Brock. <laughs> that is true. I, I always love how the little things you come up with at the beginning <laughs> to explain my, my absences. <laughs> it's not. It's not all that easy to work the word or uh, work the word Sasquatch into uh, an episode. That's right. That's our episode. That's our word of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so we're here today for a shooting from the hip episode. That's right. Um, no show notes. Flying without no. a net today. That's right, because we're talking about the Canadian Shire. That's our big main topic today. We are. Well, we're also going to cover off a fair number of listener emails as well. A few, anyway. Okay. What people right. don't know, Canadian Shire is our tournament. The tournament we yeah. run every year, and it's. Uh, we'll dive into more details later on, but we, we just <laughs> finished it, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? My mind is gone yeah. these days. Two weeks ago, actually. Uh, it went off really well, uh, and um, we'd like to just do a little talk about it. Because I know yeah, people yeah, have yeah. asked us about our custom missions and how we run this type of a tournament. So yeah. we thought, why not talk to you about it when it's fresh in our minds? And so here's <laughs> Andrew, prepared with nothing in front of him but his his open mind. That's right. It's all <laughs> up here in my noggin. I'm touching my noggin. For those cool. Who can't see me. So yeah, we do run it every year, except for those two forgotten years, the years that we will not mention. All right, but before we get into the discussion about the tournament, the last episode when we recorded together, which was quite some time ago now, um, it was the Rings of Power was premiering that mm. night. So obviously you're not going to do a full review or anything, but did you watch all of the episodes? And, and in general, what did you think? I did watch all the episodes. I, I enjoyed it. Um, was I blown away by it? No. Um, and, you know, I felt like in some cases the story was a bit flat. Or I felt like in some cases it was a bit rushed. But, you know, okay. I guess that's probably because it's eight episodes. Mind you, when we say eight episodes, it's eight hour long episodes, which if, you know, you compared that against your, your usual 20 minute, 22 minute episodes, you'd get like the half hour block plus commercials. Yeah. It's probably the equivalent of like a 20 episode season, 22 episode season, right? Of like usual TV. Mm -hmm. It's just, I guess we're just so used to like... First couple of seasons of Game of Thrones where it was like 20 episodes at an hour long a, a piece, yeah, you know? Really, yeah. And yeah. so you're getting just so much story that when you're going to this eight episode format, it's like, at times it feels rushed. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think we, we talked about this at the event, the tournament, uh, a lot about, you know, overall what you felt. And I definitely would yeah. give it a seven. Um, and that, that was pretty much it, yeah. Was... Yeah, it was. It, I, I'm pretty well the same as you. I did watch it all, and uh, I've only watched them all once. I do intend to watch them all a second time, mm -hmm. um, just to get a better, better feel for it. But yeah, not blown away. But I did enjoy all of the episodes. Um, you know, there were some standouts for me in terms of the cast and in terms of the episodes. Like I thought some were definitely better than others, mm -hmm. um, and it also has the. Um, like it's an all, although it's all based on stuff from 
Tolkien lore, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're building a narrative there and, you know, introducing the characters in ways they choose to weave the story. So in, in one sense, you know, we all have like super high expectations and, you know, they they still have to like do their first season and introduce all of their characters and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, do, do all the plot development and storyline stuff. So, so that, that's a little challenging, I think for the first season as well. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty well with you. I, I would say, uh, I would say seven out of 10, you know, I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to the second season. Oh yeah, me too. Um, yeah, so I thought it was good, ready for more. Uh, wasn't blown away. Yeah, I mean, I think to me probably the best part about it was the um, was the, the 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 Sauron reveal. I don't go into more details because I'm not going to spoil it. But yeah. I mean, if anyone has watched anything of it, they'll they'll notice it. That's yeah. the big mystery of the whole first season: is where is Sauron? So, yeah. um, I thought that was really well done, um, and the clues were laid throughout the whole season. That you were, if you were paying attention, you'd see it. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, and my son agrees with me. He really enjoyed it too. Um, I guess for me, a couple of the standouts, and I, you know, some minor critiques, is like, one, you know, I realize it would have been a massive CGI, like, you know, cost, but I'm like, the Numenorians and lore were like giants, like seven feet tall on average. And like, when you saw them in the actual, like, show, they were like yeah. regular humans, you know. Yeah, and they I just, they just, they just forgot about that and said, la, la, "Let's just ignore that and go with the regular human size." <laughs> Pretty much, which is fine. I mean, that makes sense logistically speaking. Having all of your human actors be, <laughs> be CGI to be huge would yeah. be kind of difficult. Um, and then the other piece, I think, for me, is like, I feel like the way they wrote the elves came off more as like humans with like. I don't know, like issues because like whenever you read like see the lord of the rings peter jackson elves they yeah. always come off as like all-knowing because they're thousands of years old these yeah. elves in these mo- in this in this, in this series are still thousands of years old yeah. but they just act like they've like oh my god that's a surprise kel surprise and i'm like yeah. really you've been alive for three thousand years you're gonna seriously <laughs> gonna tell me kel surprise come on how could you not see this coming yeah yeah really but yeah. other than that i still really enjoyed it you know yeah for sure for sure all right, let's let's talk about this tournament that we. Uh, well, we hold did. on a second. Hold on a second. What what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? We can't jump across. Nothing. That. I have been up to absolutely nothing. That was one of the effects that this tournament had. Mm-hmm. It absolutely killed my hobby momentum, my hobby mojo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have had nothing going on. Haven't been painting. Haven't been modeling. Haven't been converting. And I'm sitting in front of my desk with all my stuff on it now. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward to getting back into it just because i don't know i I, that's one thing about this tournament and it is an aspect of the tournament that i'll go into Mm -hmm. and that is the stress involved in putting on an event like this um and it's any event it's like not that our event is special it's uh our event is very custom so it's not like you you can't go in there with the you know, the Games Workshop, uh, what's that booklet called? The one with all the missions in? Uh, General's like Handbook. Yeah, the General's Handbook. You can't go in there with that and figure, you know, I've got my book with this book. I'm fine. Everything's set. No, mm-hmm. there's just like a every mission in our tournament is custom. The train's custom. Um, there's like 
the scoring of it is very involved. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's so much to it. And in addition to the normal stuff that you have to deal with prizing and, you know, signups and money changing hands and like all of that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know just, and plus we had the two years off because of uh, mm-hmm. COVID we didn't do the tournament for a couple of years. So, you know, there was a little bit of rust to shake off as well. <laughs> so I, and, and just, um, you know, no offense, but you have having the, <clears throat> the new baby that you can hear in the background mm-hmm. were less available. Um, so we started the ball rolling like much, much later. Um, and you know, at one point in time, I was like, we may as well just cancel it because it's not going to happen. It's we're mm-hmm. too far in. It's too close. It's too much to do. Blah blah blah. And um, you know, and then and then kind of everybody sort of woke up and started started throwing some effort at it, and it just seemed to come together well. But it was like it was two months of like a lot of work rather than mm-hmm. you know normally we spread it out over like nine or ten months right yeah. preparation and i'm talking about building new tables and stuff which we didn't do this year so um i'm blaming that on my loss of hobby mojo oh okay okay i got you yeah so what i did today what i did the last couple of weeks even though i had this whole week off i have painted zero models i haven't looked at any of them <laughs> it's wonderful but i did um with my brother uh buy ourselves a 3d printer Nice. A 3D nice. resin printer, which is sitting beside me. It is not, it's not opened. It's, it's still in the box, but it's, uh-huh. uh, it arrived yesterday. So, um, cool. So yeah. are you going to have it at your house or? Oh, hell no. No? <laughs> hell no. I don't have a house. I have a condo. My brother has a house, which automatically yeah. makes him the de facto person for this thing. <laughs> I, I was going to say, cause he just lives around the corner from me. And it's like, I think he's got like more room for that than you, man. Yeah. Hey, you know what it means? That means he's, he's, he's going to be uh, closer to you in case you need him to print something up for you. I will definitely be twisting his arm. Oh, he is excited. <laughs> it was funny. Cause, um, like I, we got a, an, an any cubic, uh, any cubit, whatever it's called, um, mono X six K resolution. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, with like the whole shebango, just because of Black Friday sale going on right now, mm-hmm. and um, it like it's designed to print large pieces. And I thought, perfect, we want to print large pieces of terrain. You can't cool. go wrong. Yeah. All right. So uh, we've got we've got a three D resin printer all lined up for printing our terrain pieces that we want to be doing for next year some tables that we may want to be looking into Uh and uh, it was funny because my brother's like oh i'm just gonna be printing like a table every two months and i'm like okay slow your roll buddy you have no (laughs) idea what's going on with the whole setup here so yeah well that's like speaking from my experiences 3d printers is you may as well name them like junk producers because yes they do produce a lot of amazing things mm-hmm. but they just if you let them never stop and like they can produce far more than you can ever use or paint so mm-hmm. you know for the like for the first year that I owned my like FDM printer I felt like I wasn't getting my money out of it if it wasn't running mm. right so I kept producing stuff like i kept Mm -hmm. printing stuff printing stuff printing stuff and you know 
there's only so much of that you can like give away or sell or do for people and eventually you just end up with this horrendously large <laughs> pile of stuff that is way more than you can paint so mm. and, and you have to store it all as well that's so the big trick you gotta you gotta be careful with that yeah. well i mean i have got plans for him to use up that use that printer for printing off some stuff for the canadian shire and that's really why i got it with him also it was heavy discount because of black friday but then it was also yeah. um i we, my brother and i sort of like won a bit of money at a local new market like lottery thing mm -hmm. just a little bit so that it heavily subsidizes purchase i wouldn't have bought it retail uh yeah. it would not would not have been a thing i would have got but uh, yeah, we've got it, and I'm like, I'm looking forward to cranking out a table, a table or two of terrain just for the Canadian Shire. And to me, like, if we could do that, that's my value. Nice. It's my, it's my money made. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. buying a table's worth of terrain, like 3D printed, is like, yeah, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. So cool. yeah, so that'll definitely help out for sure. I think so. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I was actually talking to your brother. Kirby is your brother's name. Yeah. And uh, so I'm starting up a battle companies group. That's my goal. That's I, my goal. I, I saw that. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, I just posted it on our, uh, our uh, OSBGL. Just, and I want it to be like pretty local, right? Like we, we can or arrange like big battle company events. It's happened before, but like I'm looking to play locally. So, you know, I've got a couple people lined up, your brother being one of them. Mm. um you're of course invited to come up if we get together yeah. and uh yeah so i will be hopefully seeing kirby and mm -hmm. playing some games with him mm -hmm. he's eager to learn how to how to play because i think he's new new to it right he has the figures but yes he does yeah. he's uh he had the um the the treasure trove experience where he cracked open a couple of like tup huge tupperware containers just oh, yeah. full of old, old miniatures that would make like a, um, like a hobby collector's mouth water. And yep. he's just taking photos and sending them to me. And I'm just like, please stop. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is this is such good stuff. Please stop. Oh, like, oh this, all this stuff is metal. And he's like humming and hawing. I'm like, just, just, just. Yeah, okay. you should have just told him, ah, that stuff is garbage. Just, I'll buy it off you for... 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think him being in the hobby is good. You know, another person to add. Hopefully yeah, he'll yeah. come out to a tournament. We'll see. But uh, in the meantime, get him out to some battle companies and yeah. start from there. For sure. That's definitely what I want to do. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've been trying to make happen. But um, the our tournament, again, I'll blame on this, is is that like i i definitely want to continue to go to our tournaments it's you know it's a lot of fun mm -hmm. really enjoy it uh but like my main enjoyment of the game is um like i really like battle companies and like i would love to have a regular group to get together to play the game and like so not necessarily competitive games mm -hmm. not necessarily structured as tournament all the time and that's literally the only time i ever play the game is at a tournament yeah. and like i go to a tournament like almost every month um you know pretty mm -hmm. much every other month let's say right mm -hmm. um so I li i'd really like to get a local group together and start playing like not as competitively focused um, events. Well, I think there's a, there's there's merit to it, and I'm, I'm I'm hoping though you can make it happen. Yeah, we'll do my best anyway. Yeah. 
Well, you never know. You could, you could, uh, the Canadian Shire could have an offshoot event where we just have battle companies on one day. It could be a two day event, there you know, singles tournament one day and battle yeah. companies the second. And, uh, and that's if, and what we, I was thinking, actually, you know, like some of like the Goblin Town board that, that we have that I made. Like, I'd love to play a battle companies game on that board. Oh That'd God. be fantastic to play on. Well, yes and no, because like if the Goblin King was there. <laughs> well, no, okay, we would have to remove, remove the Goblin King. But, yeah, you know. but yeah, I could definitely see. Oh man, battle companies with with um, the Momek. <laughs> <laughs> Your whole battle company goes down in one trample. <laughs> okay, there we we've just segued into talking about the tournament. All right, so, there so we go. those are a couple of our missions. So um, let, let, do you, we have no structure for this conversation because you have no no notes whatsoever. None whatsoever. So, <laughs> So I'll start you with a, a thing. Okay, Let's do the overview. Let's hit me okay. with the overview. Hit you with the overview. Yeah, okay. overview so of the tournament. First and foremost, it's a hobby tournament, right? It's yes. uh, We have 80-point tournaments, 100-point tournaments. 100-point ones are more competitive. 80-point ones are hobby tournaments. Um, they do count towards your league score, but if you, you, know, you only get four scores in your uh, league score for a year, and if they're all hobby events that are 80 points, you're not going to come close to winning the league. You need to be doing well in 100-point events. So this is not a tournament where you bring, bring the crusher list. It's definitely a fun, a fun um, event. And so we usually do 10, 11 tables, something like that. This year mm -hmm. we did 10. Um, there, so 20 players, so it's singles. Uh, there are all custom missions so we play 10 different missions we do not play like everybody is playing hold ground this round we have 10 tables 10 unique missions so our focus there is um unlike a competitive tournament and even most hobby tournaments or 80 point events uh, you're using the Swiss system, so winners play winners, losers play losers. That is out the window at our event. Mm -hmm. uh, the focus at our event is for you to play four different people over the day, because there's four games, and on four different tables, because we want everyone to experience as many of the different missions as we can. Um, scoring is very different than normal. Um, of course, we have your general ship uh score mm -hmm. which is your your tournament points and what else do we have we have your painting so that is mm -hmm. judged by uh us the tos uh, we have a theme score for your army as well which mm -hmm. this year we switched that also judged by the tos mm -hmm. um sportsmanship so that is judged by the players. You're given a handout uh, uh, during your, right at the end of your last game, I guess, mm -hmm. and you're to rate your four opponents. And there's, it's none of this. Uh, you get to score your your opponent one out of five, and then you score all your opponents five out of five. No, it's you score one of them as a four, one as a three, one as a two, and one as a one. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're forced to score them in order. Right, which is very difficult for some people to do. Um, so that is also part of your score. All of your tournament scores 
uh, incorporate all of these different things. Did I forget anything? Um, you well, there's a couple things here. Let's let's. I let's, meant in in terms of score. Did I forget anything in terms of score? Um, yes, actually, the one thing about generalship. Uh -huh. um, so so a couple things here for painting. There's sort of two categories. There's like your um, we do like your. Uh, we, we do like a nice uh, quick review of your your, your, your painting, your, your, your army and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And if you score like essentially the max on that, then there's a second tier of painting that we go to. Yeah. So uh, a select number of individuals move to that. So really it's about if you've done a really good job, you will get a substantially higher painting score than everybody else. Yeah, so it's scored kind of in, you, you kind of look at the army twice. Mm -hmm. uh, the, fir the first pass is there's a potential of six points. Mm -hmm. um, and it's for things like, you know, did you use three colors or, or more? Or like, were your bases done up? Um, like basic, basic information, right? Mm -hmm. And if you get five or six out of those possibles, mm -hmm. then you, you're sort of a finalist, right? And then... Yep the judges will come around then again and take a seriously close look at your at your army and like we have a written uh, matrix for the painting judges to follow uh, so mm. that all of the scores are in line with each other and and then you take the average score of of the two or three judges that that judge the, each army well, it's a little, the, the calculation is a little bit different, but we're going to keep that sort of, uh, you know, under our brims for the time being. But, <laughs> okay, um, okay. Um, but what it essentially comes down to is, um, you know, generalship sort of sits around 30% of the total scores, right? Mm -hmm. um, painting and actually painting theme and everything else generally sit around 22 to 25% and they can fluctuate in between that. Right. Um, and it is, it is best. It's, it's army appearance just to yes, be specific yeah. because so it does, display board it, there does are matter. points, there are points for a display board as well. Mm -hmm. And so the, what we're trying to do here is like, if you come with a crusher list, right. With a crusher mentality, you will do fantastic in the, in the, uh, the battle points, but your sportsmanship scores will be low as garbage. And if you don't bring a really beautifully painted army, that's going to kill you as well. So, I mean, it, there's, you really can be hampered um, by not sort of playing the field, i.e. looking at all four categories. Yeah. You know, and so the last thing about the scoring is that generalship is we've really tweaked this and we've, we've especially, we've done this especially to prevent people from trying to game the system by um, scoring big on their generalship points. And that is, the, each mission is only has 12 VPs, period. You can't get a 7-7 seven, seven tie, nothing like that. Um, there are only 12 VPs on the table. And generally speaking, um, you can... Uh, some of those VPs, one or two, generally every mission, are for if you're losing. I mean, yeah. if you're stomping your opponent, you will not get those VPs. So I think we had two scores out of what was it, 40 games that broke 10. Yeah. That was it. And I think it was this year, one of the first times we had a 12-0. We had a, our first time we had a 12-0. Yeah. So right away times. it was like, oh, something's wrong with that mission. We got to mm -hmm. review and take a look at that yeah. for next year. Yeah. And it was, and yeah, we saw a lot of 7-0s, 7-2s, you know, 8-0, 9-0, yeah. like that kind of thing. But like, 
Yeah, like you're playing in a four-game tournament. There's 48 points available, and I think the person who won it sitting at 31 generalship. Like that was like, and he scored exceedingly high on generalship. Yeah. Most people did not. I think the average was sitting around 14 points, 15 points. Right, right, right. So, yeah. so it's it's a very involved scoring matrix, and thank goodness we have Andrew, the accountant, to like not only put that spreadsheet together and run it during the day, but also after the tournament is over, there's still a lot of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like for days afterwards, we were we were getting stats of uh, of our missions, like the missions that gave out the most victory points, the missions that gave out the least victory points, you know, generalship points, like all of these stats, and and so we can we can look at all of the results, and and it kind of identifies where potentially adjustments are required to mm-hmm. be made to to some of the missions. Um, which I find very helpful um, as a as a post tournament sort of <laughs> yes absolutely thing. yeah yeah scoring aside I mean I'll say this very quickly sort of as a final point on scoring and sort of come back to it all right and that is this is probably the hardest tournament to win of the OSBGL straight no, up no question about it. Yeah, because no it's based on so many different like inputs for for your score, yeah. right? There's there's what four inputs or five inputs for your score. It's not just based on winning games. Yeah, it's very much. It is the hardest tournament to win, um, and it is crazy just how um, the shift is between winners each year. I mean, like like last year, um, we had a very thematic uh, dwarf arm with Mike Shock. Who won mm-hmm. it this year? Ben Boomer won it with his yeah. um, Arnor uh, Elve-inspired theme, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, and it's um, it's a hard tournament to win. I'll say that, and you have to be like a fantastic gentleman as you play your games. Bring a non-competitive slash still balanced and resilient army that can play all the missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, while still really fleeing into theme and paint your models up quite nicely. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. a lot of variables at play. Definitely. Uh, and so that scoring aside, there was one thing, a couple things you mentioned here is that um, uh, we talked about we don't use the Swiss system. And that's true, we don't. Because the Swiss system uses, you know, a couple of criteria, right? So their initial criteria is you play unique player. Right, that's criteria number one. Criteria number two is you then play the highest VP person, right? And sometimes people switch it so that you're always playing the highest VP person versus over a unique player, right? So that's kind mm-hmm. of like the, the conditions. Whereas for us, it's all about we want you to play in order of priority. We want you to play on a different table every game. So that is the yeah. absolute first thing. You have to be matched on a different table. The second thing is you have to play someone unique. We don't want you playing the same person, right? Um, and so by that point, getting the... Oh, and you also have to play the most competitive. We That's so complex from a programming perspective. We, we haven't implemented something like that. Um, if we had someone who has a custom software, um, you know, tournament software that could do that for us uh, and sort of reach out to us. Um, you know, this is your chance to plug yourself. Uh, we'd be happy to, to discuss that because I think that would really, um, 
amp up the game and again put another further sort of notch in dissuading people from bringing those crusher lists because you're always going to be playing against people who are the same skill level as you. Yeah. Um, so that we talked about, uh, we talked about the missions, we talked about the scoring. Uh, the other piece is, this is a reading tournament. Okay. And this is something a lot of people have struggled with. Um, our event is unique in that it is a reading event. In that you, the missions have a lot of special rules, a lot of interactions that you have to be aware of. And it's one of those, and the victory points are very unique. You will not find these in any other general's handbook. Yeah. So when you're going through um, these missions, we always say to people, read it once, three turns, four turns in, read the victory points again, read the mission interactions again, because I guarantee you, you're going to make a mistake and it will cost <laughs> you victory points. And it did a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. So, uh, and the other thing that we, we absolutely acknowledge is that some of these missions, these are not balanced for certain army types. We fully acknowledge that yeah. uh, down, down to Goblin Town does not favor you if you have mounted models. <laughs> yeah, because the very first thing is you lose all your mounts. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So a, yeah. a person who had the riders of, uh, the, the not riders of Rohan <laughs> uh, lost all their Rohan mounts uh, yeah. when they played that game. That sounds like it really sucks, but there there is a consolation for that. You do get like you know some goblin ambushers to assist you as you play the game. Um, so yeah, like so, I would say as a high level overview, we bring um, unique tables. Like we really put effort into making these tables um, specific to the missions, aligning with lore. Um, like for example, like Don said that we hadn't built a, a Rohan or we hadn't built a table this year, which isn't true. We actually did build a table this year. We bought, built a revamped Rohan table, right? Cause we, Oh, that's true. I forgot. Yes. Yeah, my yeah. bad. My bad. We did have that table before, but this year we replaced the Rohan buildings with the GW box set that we bought. That's correct. Yeah. So yep. we um we and thank the... you, Chris, for painting all of it. For oh us. my you're god! You're the man, buddy. Yeah, you're the machine, dude. You're a machine. <laughs> like I could not get that done, and I'm super excited that I, I I had the wherewithal to put together an outhouse from some spare components <laughs> because that was a fan favorite uh, yeah. of racing to the outhouse. Turned out to be a hit. Yeah. Turned out to be a hit because people love to take mm -hmm. a deuce in it. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, each table is very unique in the terrain. We were, and one of the reasons why, you know, and, and Don mentioned this, um, why it takes so long for us to put the, the, the terrain together, or the tables together, so in, in the pre-work phase, if you would, the pre-tournament phase, is that each piece of terrain has to be uh, reviewed against the, the board, against the, the, the mission, against the lore of what we're trying to instill here. Um, and that's why we had a lot of discussions of what terrain should go for this mission, what terrain should go for that mission. Um, yeah. So these were heavy-duty discussions that took a and long so time. And so over the three years now that we've run the tournament, um, we, we've assigned a lot of that stuff and, you know, acquired and painted models because not only terrain, but probably a good 50% of our missions actually include... Um, what would you call them? Like non-player characters, I guess. NPCs, yeah, yeah. Uh, or non-player armies uh, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. that are part of the mission that you mm -hmm. have to navigate. 
Yeah. And uh, let's talk about those because everyone keeps asking us how you design your missions. Um, so we have 10 very unique missions. I'm not going to ream them off here. Um, mm -hmm. Come to the event if you'd like to play them. Um, maybe we can pick one or two of them. Like maybe pick one each. I've got. We'll, we'll talk I've got about two. Them. I got. I've got two. I'll pick okay, two. Cool, and you pick cool. two. So yeah. one is the fan favorite. Always the fan favorite, which is essentially kill the Mamek. Pelinor Circus, as we call it. Yeah. And that is a fan favorite for everybody. Yeah. Um, for people who played the mission and people who want to play the mission, and essentially it's. You and you look at the table and it like couldn't be more boring looking. Like yes. it, it's such an ordinary looking table. It's literally a mumak at one end of the table um, with 12 of the Haradrum archers mm -hmm. uh, on top of it. And, you know, then at the far end of the table on either side, um, there there's like a few small hills and like siege uh, archery shields that I, mm -hmm. I made up. Yeah, it's, it's very sparse. It's designed to be like the ruins of a battlefield, and it's supposed to portray the Battle of Gilgalith. Sorry, it's supposed to portray the Battle of Pelennor Field. Field. Yeah, heavy explodes. That's um, why I have like siege sort of terrain yeah. there, like trenches and archery shields. And, and the idea here is. It's supposed to portray an out-of-control Mumak, right? Because when the Mumaks charged in, the Rohan got trampled, um, uh, and but there were a fair number of Mumaks that lost their riders and went crazy because they had all these spikes and spears sticking into them, and they just went trampled galore. And so that's what this mission portrays. Um, it is very much uh, an ode to a 40k tournament that we used to play in for years and years, Astronomicon. They have yeah. a similar mission called Sink the Bane Blade, and ours is a homage to that mission. Yeah. And essentially what it is, is the Mumak is trying to get off the uh, other side of the table, and your job is to kill the Mumak. Uh, and you are facing a rampaging Mumak while also fighting your opponent, while 12 Haradrim archers are shooting you from above. And we have seen some crazy moments where people yeah. have tried to kill this Mumak, uh, and this is not a, a normal Mumak. This is a Mumak with amped up upgrades, like all, almost all the Mumak upgrades you can get from the book, um, plus, you know, a five up, um, essentially feel no pain, which is, a, you know, essentially a five up blubbery mass save roll yeah. on every wound. And every time it takes a wound, its fight value goes up, right? So essentially, uh, it yeah, goes up to fight 10. Fight 10. Yeah. It's a fight 10 Mumak, and good luck killing it. It's not easy. And you say to yourself, well, I'll just shoot it to death. But the problem is, you can all the VPs in the mission are tied to the Mumak, right? There are right. 10 wounds in the Mumak, 10 VPs, right? The other two VPs are for other things. And we limit how many VPs you can score from magic and shooting to three VPs in total. So mm -hmm. if you score three wounds on the Mimac with magic and shooting, that's the max. If you score a fourth, you don't get a VP for it. And so it really pushes you into like getting in, into base contact with this Mimac, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we create the rules for the Mimac? It's essentially, it comes down to... Um, so I would say probably four, you know, categories. The first is we lay out what the Mamak does, like what the stat line is, because a lot of our stat lines for NPCs differ from the book, the books that they come from. We provide you with all the special rules that they're going to use, right? So that's sort of the first block. 
the second block is how the you know the NPC or in this case the Mimac interacts with the turn sequence, right? When they move in the turn sequence, when they shoot in the turn sequence, how they do combat, like when that happens, right? Um, and so yep. we're very clear about laying that out in terms of like the Mimac moves first, and then um, yeah, we even like in some actions. Like we give an order of operations for yep. players to be able to follow, like when stuff happens. Yeah, and then the third block um, is sort of all of the interactions that happen in the movement phase. So like if, if, if this is the movement phase, what do you do? So you roll a dice and this is how far, and this consult a chart and that's how far the, move, the MOMAC moves based upon whether it shifts left, shifts right, stomps on the ground in frustration or, or barrels mm -hmm. forward. Um, and, or how it shoots, like in terms of how the riders shoot above, uh, and always giving rules for um, prioritization. That's the big thing with NPCs, how they prioritize what they're gonna target, right? Because almost always there's gonna be scenarios where things are equidistant in terms of measuring, so mm -hmm. we provide um, rules for that. And it's almost always shoot at the highest point value, or in the case of the Momac, shoot at something that has a ranged weapon, right? Uh, and obviously in the combat phase, it's prioritization of how the Momac reacts, um, and you know, as it being a monster, we also have to limit its you know brutal power attacks um, because we don't want it to have the full gamut of brutal power attacks because nobody controls them a Mac, right? I mean, the person with priority rolls dice for to see if it wins the dual roll, but in terms of determining how it acts, it's very specific, right? Like it'll use yeah. rend against the highest point hero, but if there's not, it just tramples the highest point model and goes down their order until it's run out of attacks. Right. Just let's just touch on uh, deployment first, because uh, it, it is a bit of an unusual deployment in in the sense that like one army starts on one side of the board and the other mm -hmm. on the opposite sort of, and in traditional way. Um, but they're to the right hand side of the board. So like half of the board there, neither army is there. So you're only sort of deploying on half the board, but across from your opponent. Um, and then the Mumak starts um, in the middle of the board, so in, like the middle of the two players, uh, and will essentially run across the center line of the table between the two players' armies. So, um, and that's where we come into how the Mumak moves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the other thing. Is the fourth piece is all about deploying the NPCs, right? So obviously that's the first section that we should be thinking about. But... Um, my, my ordering sucks tonight, uh, and regardless, it's it's how you deploy the NPCs themselves and how they how they start activating, because some NPCs in some missions don't activate until a condition occurs. Mm -hmm. In the case of the Pelennor Circus, the Momac just automatically starts out the gate running. And yeah, and it, it, its objective is to get off the other side of the table, and when the Momac gets off the other side of the table, which has only happened once, I think, um, the game automatically ends. Right, so it's it's yeah. setting up that all, deployment. All the victory points just left the table, so it's so over. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty yeah. much. And so, it presents a very interesting conundrum because uh, players that, that that interact in this game or play in this game, um, part of like the mission is all about killing the Mumak, but it's like if you divert all of your resources to it, your opponent can swarm you and take you out with the expectation of getting the long the long run uh, they're going for the long-term mm -hmm. victory points right playing the long game um 
So that's something that is always key, it's always fascinating to watch, where some people just dive headlong into the Momak, just thinking just the Momak, and then they get outflanked from both sides, and their, their forces are being whittled away far quicker than they hoped for. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the thing with the Mumak as well is um, Mumaks like to trample stuff. Oh, yeah. So so we've actually worked that in. And this is kind of one of, like Drew mentioned earlier, that you know we sometimes will throw a bone to players that are losing in terms mm-hmm. of victory points. So the, the way the Mumak moves in this mission is it's got a little chart that you roll a dice on, a D6, and you, you get a couple of unusual results, but otherwise the, the mumuk will move forward. But the, the forward movement is either straight down the center of the board or it'll move 45 degrees to its left or 45 degrees to its right and go its uh, full move. And at the end of its move, it turns to face the opposite edge of the board the center point of the opposite edge of the board so Mm -hmm. it always kind of justifies at the end of its move towards that point Mm -hmm. so like if like if you move 45 degrees to the right one turn and then 45 degrees to the right to the next turn you know unless you do that justification thing you'll end up like running off the side of the board right and Mm -hmm. you want to keep the moment in the center of the board Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how kind of how it moves and one of the results is like it it rears up on its hind legs and then comes down on the ground and like knocks models prone and doesn't move so there's some unusual results other than Mm -hmm. just moving straight ahead but as part of that movement um is is trampling stuff that it that it runs over and therein lies a victory point so the the player who has the most models killed by being trampled by the Momak actually gets one victory point. Yeah, and victory points are hard to come by in our events. So, like, if you know you're doing well in terms of the Momak, people tend to throw their models up front and and just, like, take the the L on those models and then uh, they can then try to claim that extra VP. I mean, I've seen, uh, not this term, but the previous one, I saw a dwarf player um, sort of walk his models up and the Mumak did exactly what you talked about. It kept rolling the same result four turns in a row, and it kept just 45 degreeing right towards the dwarf army, ran yeah. into it, and it was a 35 model dwarf army or something like that, and it wiped out like 20 models through all this trampling. <laughs> oh and it was gosh. just like, oh. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, dude, you still got a VP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so there's there's 10 for victory points on the Mumak. There's one for the trampling, and I've forgotten what the last one is. The last one is the number of uh, Haradrim raiders you kill. Oh, whoever okay, kills right. more gets a VP, yeah. So we've had oh. situations where someone has killed no Haradrim raiders, their opponent's killed three or four, then they kill the Mumak. Well, guess what happens when the Mumak dies? All the Haradrim raiders fall to the ground, and so... All of a sudden, they claim all the VP. They claim that VP because they just killed seven, you know, six yeah, or seven yeah. Radrim Raiders. So yeah, yeah, I think the only Momak upgrade that it doesn't have is the throw stones one. It's, is that correct? It, yeah, it's because it used to have it for. Um, I think it was our first tournament we did that. It was brutal. It yeah, killed it far just... more than we anticipated. Yeah, so it's like okay, can't have that. Because it, it, we allowed it to throw into combat too. So like people would charge their heroes into combat and all of a sudden it's like 
you know, you'd see like one or two heroes dead um, or like all their spear supports dead because strength six rocks are being thrown on top of them. Yeah, yeah. So we, it, we made that a little too hard. So we, we, you know, we toned it down. And the like the regular rules for the Momaki state that if your driver is killed, like one of the other guys on on the Momaki takes over that position. So that rule is out the window, obviously, because mm -hmm. this is a custom thing. Mm -hmm. So the Momaki is never brought under control by by any of the other um, yeah. people on the back. Or and, on the and it's and it's fearless, immune to magic. Like we we really try to think about all the things we want the Momaki to not be affected by, so that it, we it. It doesn't take away from the vision or the goal we have with this event, with, with this mission. Yeah. So, so which that, is this Momek is not going to stop. It's going to run across this board until he gets off the other side or you kill it. Pretty much, yeah. And yeah. so that's it, yeah. So that's probably the fan favorite, Pelinor Circus. I won't go into the second one because we're getting a bit long in the tooth in this one. But mm -hmm. uh, I'll pass over to you, Don. What's your, uh, what mission do you, can you think of? Um, I'm going to say uh, we did talk a little bit about Goblin Town uh, earlier, so I won't go with that one. And I'll go with uh, Scouring of the Shire. I hoped you were going to go with that one. Because that it's the Shire, right? It's the Shire. It's, it's Canadian Shire. It's mm -hmm. north of the Shire. It's Scouring of the Shire. And it's, right? it's, it's known as the Bloodbath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this mission involves hobbits. Yes, it does. A lot of hobbits. Yes, it um, does. And, and you'll have to help. I'll tell you what the general idea of the mission is, but like I don't have like a photographic memory like Mr. Drew here, so you'll have to help me out with the victory points and stuff. Yep. Um, but we've got six hobbit holes. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Adam Marcel from Blackfire Productions for bringing three of them for us this year. Thank you, sir. Uh, so... Um, we have six of them, and they're kind of arranged in a circle around the outside of the board mm -hmm. with the door facing towards the center of the board. Mm -hmm. In the center of the board is a small pond. And within that circle, there's very minimal terrain. There's a couple of hedges, and I think that's all. Yep. Right? And, and so it's kind of like a donut kind of shape. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one player deploys uh, in sort of their half of the donut shape and mm -hmm. one player on the other. And, and so you're, you're facing off against your opponent um, across a very small pond in the middle of a, a hobbit village. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially, you fight the other army, and uh, Drew will get into the victory points. But what happens is every turn, again, you roll on a chart. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that chart tells you how many hobbits come out and what type of hobbits they are and mm -hmm. what hole they come out of or possibly multiple holes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so essentially what happens is as the game goes along, every turn more and more hobbits are coming out of these hobbit holes and essentially the archers sort of come out and stand still and shoot while the other ones will move forward and attack the closest model. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially what happens by the end of the game, you have a third army in, in the middle of, of the game that, that both players are having to contend with. Um, and we have a lot of the personalities there. Uh, again, like Drew mentioned earlier, um, we adjust the profiles, um, but we have like Labelia and 
uh, fatty bulger and all mm -hmm. that. But we have we have adjusted their profiles so that they're, like they're none none of them are like one wound zero fate or something mm -hmm. like that. So they'll all like take a little bit of abuse before they go down. Yes. Uh, help me out with the victory points there, Drew. So one thing before I jump into the VPs, the archers, and this is the part that makes it so deadly, the archers sit on top of the hobbit holes when they come out. Right, right. And they fire into every combat that doesn't include hobbits. So if you don't kill the archers, they will just keep shooting you, even though you're fighting your opponent. <laughs> and yep. we've seen some pretty <laughs> terrible things where they'll, they'll shoot into combats, so they'll kill models indiscriminately. Uh, and the archers, they pick up a, a lot of VPs. Um, so the in, in terms of the game itself, there's... Um, I don't rem remember all the VPs off the top of my head, but uh, like a large chunk of the VPs are towards killing the hobbits. And that is, um, you get one VP for each one of the four named hobbits that you kill. Uh, Lobelia, um, Paladin Took, Farmer Maggot, without his dogs, and uh, Fatty Bulger. And you get um, a VP for having the most amount of your models killed by the hobbits. Um, so if you're getting thumped by them, guess what? You will get a VP. Um, and then I believe the remainder of the VPs is like Lords of Battle, where if you uh, do more damage to your opponents, you get for those VPs. And, and that's pretty much it. Um, but this year, I, I wanted to amp up the mission a bit, right? Because um, these named heroes, they, had, um, they all had two wounds, right? Uh, but, you know, they, they didn't really have, like, one or... They only had one attack, two wounds kind of thing. So I gave them all an extra attack, uh, which put Farmer Maggot up to three attacks. And then I said, you know what? That's not enough. We need to give them all a special rule, right? And so each one of them has a special rule. So Lobelia's is... Her special rule is amazing for her, so it didn't even change it. She has the... Um, you don't get to use... Your warriors don't get to use stand fast uh, in range six inches of uh, Lobelia. Okay. Paladin Tooks. His is all about inspiring presence. Well, his Heroes is, cannot call with me when they call a heroic action within six inches of Paladin Took. I open the mission. There you go. That is brutal. Because the way the priority order lines up, Hobbits go first, unless you call a heroic action. And Paladin Took's like, that's nice. Most of you guys are just sitting there while we swarm you. <laughs> so the third person is Fatty Bulger. An and innocent fellow. That's right. And what, is, what does Fatty Bulger get? So humble and innocent does Fredegar look that fighting him just doesn't seem fair. Any models in a duel with Fredegar suffer a minus one to the duel roll. So he has a built-in shade special roll when you fight him. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is Farmer Maggot. Now, Farmer Maggot, uh, real quick, because uh, it's a bit of a, a long-in-the-tooth special rule, essentially says he will always use his scythe, which counts as a pick. He will always piercing strike with it, and he will always go two-handed, and he counts as burly. So he is a strength four with plus one to wound, and he's got three attacks. So if he wins a fight against you, he will cut you down. It's That's not even a choice. And that is called wheat before the scythe. There you go. Yeah. Um, let me just take a quick look and see if you got all the victory points correct here. I could be wrong. Uh, but, but an interesting thing as you're going through this, Don, is um, there was an evolution of this mission, which is what the beautiful thing about these missions is. We, we had the mission in our first tournament, but we didn't have the pond. And everybody said, we just 
immediately dove into combat and those armies that had the cav armies versus the non-cav armies just got wiped out and we said that's not what we want so we put the pond in to force you to split your army up to go on either side of the pond but as you separate to go on either side of the pond that puts you closer to the hobbit holes (laughs) it was kind of like it was kind of the post-tournament um like another thing that we didn't talk about is so far every year we've also sent out a survey to all of our players after the tournament ask asking a whole bunch of questions about the tournament the missions favorites changes you'd like to see etc and so that came about um i think from the answers we received on our uh, on our questionnaire there that we needed to do something there because what essentially happened is the whole idea of the mission wasn't happening because the players were killing each other too fast. Yeah, and they were able to fight in the center of the table and the hobbits just weren't able to get into combat quick enough. So we right. said nuts to that shenanigans. Let's put it. Let's put what was it like a ten inch pond in the center <laughs> of the table? Yeah, it was about a ten inch pond in the center of the table, which really yeah, broke so, everything up. So victory points are for the person that kills the most hobbits. You either get one, three, or five. Whether you're more than your opponent, double your opponent, or triple your opponent, same kind of thing. Um, you'll receive one victory point each for killing Paladin Took, Lobelia, Fredegar, or for- Farmer Maggot. So there's another four that you can get. Uh-huh. For being the first player to lose five models to Hobbits, you receive one victory point. Um, what else? The player who has the most models in the enemy deployment zone at the end of the game, one victory point. The player who kills the most Hobbits by the end of the game receives one victory point. So those are the the VPs, and we also give a tracking sheet along with the uh, yeah. for each player to to track their kills and special characters that they've killed. That is correct. Yeah, we want to. Um, yeah, so the wound tally piece is all about killing your opponents, um, your opponent's army as well, right? So it's a, but it's just a, it's just a straight kill mission. But the thing is, you uh, you're fighting in the Shire, my friend. It's the wrong place to be fighting. So they want to say hello to you. Um, so yeah, that's that's how. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sorry, I got that wrong. The one three five, that's killing your opponents. That's models. correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's the one victory point at the end. The player that kills the most hobbits gets one victory point. Okay, that's Sorry, correct. My yeah, bad. Yeah. My bad. That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah. So that's sort of the anatomy of some of our missions, and a lot of the other missions sort of fall under that same anatomy. Um, yeah. But we do get some clear favorites. People love this mission. People love the Pelennor Circus. Um, there are some missions that I'll, I find, I personally find, are a bit blah. That I mean, this mm-hmm. is me being super critical. Uh, my own mission that I designed and built all the train for. I really feel like it's a bit underwhelming um and i'm looking at sort of tweaking it that's my own thing and that's the thing we, we are constantly tweaking and retweaking missions right? so that one's the battle of osgiliath and it's yeah. it's kind of like a, a domination style mission right? it's, a, it's a domination style mission but the only difference is that if you're not standing in terrain you can get hit with an errant arrow from mm-hmm. uh, other armies that are sort of fighting in the city and it's like Every time yeah. you're not standing in a, in a, in a, on a terrain piece, you roll a dice and on a one, you get take a strength two hit. Uh, and, you know, it's, 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 that's what it is. And that's the big shtick. And so it can be fun, but I just every time I look at it, I'm like, man, this isn't Pelinor Circus. We need to amp well, this up. It's, it's one of those things. It's because we're coming up with custom missions. 
Um, it, it's one of those things where you're always trying to perfect something, but at the same time, knowing when you have to stop tinkering with something. Yeah. Um, so like we have, uh, you mentioned that mission where we have another couple of missions and they're, they're kind of, it's, they're kind of, a like twins. They sort of two yeah. missions on two different tables that interact with each other, which is, is very unusual. Um, mm. So what happens in these missions is one, without going into it in great detail, one is called Echoes in the Fog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one is, is the other one Canadian Shire Banner? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah Canadian, Shire Banner. Canadian Shire Banner. So so both missions have sort of their own things that you need to do to get victory points on the the table. But both missions also have sort of a... Um, what would you call it, um, a mechanic built into the game where it gets the players to actually um, talk or talk or yell or sing out loud mm-hmm. so that all of the other players can hear what they're saying and and be like, what the heck is that person saying that for? And, and so we give these lyrics. So there's a whole bunch of lyrics. Uh, for example... One of them is potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew, right? Mm-hmm. And so one player will just, it, it'll be their turn and they have to shout that out, right? And it's the, is, it's the first person to respond. Help me out here. I forget how this works now. So I'm the under first, pressure. So the, so the Canadian Shire table, when you're holding the banner, you get to shout these lyrics out. Right. Each turn, uh, and then the first person in the echoes in the fog table to respond with the correct phrase um, gets uh, essentially VPs towards their mission. Right. So, for example, that one is potatoes boil and mash and sticker in a, in a stew, and the response is, "What's taters precious? What's taters?" Right. So the other table has to do the answer. And so we've seen this work really well a couple of times. Um, but to, right to the point where we envision it, but then we've also seen this work not so well, and that's yeah. cost the echoes in the fog table a lot of victory points, right? Because that actually that segment is worth probably four or five victory points. Essentially, like what happened, we we had one game where where the player really got into it, and so like they were like shouting their lyrics out and some of them are really ridiculous right so Mm. you kind of look like a bit of an idiot but uh, (laughs) that's the whole idea right Mm. um and so it was really funny and then like the next game um one of the armies was really small and i forget what happened but the game just ended really fast like it ended like on the third turn or something Mm. and so so the whole lyric part of the thing like didn't happen because one of the tables was done right yeah the echoes table so if the echoes table yeah. goes faster than the uh, canadian shire table then um you don't get the uh, the lyrics that you need to be able to respond and get vps for them. yeah and so we had a similar problem happen with this last year and so we addressed the situation and revamped the mission um, and thought we had resolved that issue, but apparently not. So again, mm-hmm. that, that's one where, you know, we keep trying to make this work because we love the idea of it, but, but so far we haven't found the sweet spot for that yet. 
Yeah, which goes to show you about about custom missions, you know, like uh, yeah. we have probably 20 plus years of gaming experience in each of us. I mean, you probably have more, obviously. Um, and what so, what are you trying to say? Well, I mean, you're an <laughs> you played longer than I have. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and so we have all this experience we, of, of the four people that were there for this tournament we probably were closing in on a hundred years of gaming experience, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of all of that experience, we still didn't foresee certain uh, situations occur with our custom missions. And it's, it's yeah. always a, um, there's always a requirement to retune and rethink of the missions yeah. uh, and, and find new ways to like zero them in. Because we really want every mission to award the same number of total VPs, right? Because yeah. one of the stats that Don talked about is we look at all the missions and how many VPs they award. Some awarded more than others, right? And so we want to we rein those ones in. And those that didn't award as much, we want to you know, prop them up so that every mission, regardless of which one you play on, it gives, you, have, it gives you an equal chance of getting the same VPs. Which it does because it's 12-0, but still. There's 12 By the VPs. way, I, I was thinking about that situation after the tournament. Um, and what we could have done if we were if we were on the ball with that situation is essentially apply a ringer, right? And we could have had like one of the TOs, mm-hmm. which we had four there on the day, mm-hmm. to just go to the table that finished early and just be a stand-in for the lyrics and just like randomly at the appropriate time say a lyric or respond to a lyric you know what i mean mm-hmm. as as like a sort of a ringer yeah i think the other thing we could do is instead of having to hold the banner maybe the person with the most models around the banner at the beginning of each turn allows it to mm-hmm. you know yeah, allows that's, it that's to, a possibility to you know what i mean so all of a sudden you at least that way always there's there's always um a lyric being said every turn you know what i mean so no i hear you i hear you um did you want to talk a little bit about theme because we haven't really talked about a big part of our tournament um so i'll tell you what i'm gonna read i'm gonna read something from from our tournament pack which kind of sets the stage for theme and then um we'll we'll go through our band list as well i won't go through all of it it's a big band list we'll say we can we can read through it fast okay i got it right here okay okay so here here's a quote from and uh this is in our tournament tournament pack so lindir says my lord Elrond, armies from all over Middle-earth are descending upon a place called Canadian Shire. Something terrible must be afoot. Shall I prepare your armor and saddle your horse? Elrond responds, Canadian Shire, you say? Never heard of it. Wherever or whatever it is, it's certainly no place for a true legendary lord. I wouldn't be caught dead there. Send Glorfindel, he can deal with it. So... Therein lies kind of what we're going for, and that is we don't want to see the big guns, right? No, we don't. No. So also, we mentioned that a lot of our missions include um, characters from the game, like a- acting mm-hmm. as NPCs, right? Yeah. So we don't want people, like a mummock, for example. So like we don't want people to take a mummock in their army because one of the missions is 
is based around mm-hmm. the Mummock. And and there are quite a few other ones, like the Goblin King is in Down Down in Goblin Town. So we have a band list for this tournament, and it is quite lengthy. So here it is. I'll rhyme it off really fast, okay? Gilgalad, High King of the Elves, Elrond, Master of Rivendell, Galadriel, Lady of Light, Elendil, uh, Aragorn, King of Lesser, Gandalf the White, Thranduil, King of the Wooden Realm, uh, the Iron Hills Chariot, Tom Bombadil, the Dark Lord Sauron, Balrog, all siege engines, Warmumuk of Harad and Farharad, the Great Beast of Gorgoroth, a Dragon, Watcher in the Water, the Cave Drake, Azog, the Goblin King, the Goblin Scribe, the Three Trolls, and newly added this year is all legendary legions and the dragon emperor of rune so that's our band list so it's pretty extensive that is yeah that is the extensive band list and we do that because one we don't want to see you bring the hammer um unfortunately glorfindel has brought a lot at our event this yeah, year <laughs> he, he was popular there were what three or four of them i think there, he is the most he was four yeah four four yeah. of them were brought out of oh yeah that's the other thing we forgot to mention our event is a good versus evil event right right yeah it is yeah, our event is a good versus evil event because again it's playing on theme we want to make sure that you are only playing evil players if you're a good army and the other piece about theme is um, you know, this maybe this wasn't something conveyed in a timely manner, but we really wanted you to get into the theme by like dressing up, really going all out on your army display or your army to really exemplify the theme that you're trying to build out. Um, but also your army list, giving us an army list that includes mm-hmm. some lore and explanation for how your theme works. Everyone did not, everyone but one person did not uh, uh, take that to heart in in the way we were hoping. But, you know, we're hoping that next year with a lot more notice, uh, people will dive into that in a bigger way. One person gave us a no um, uh, party business, no admittance slip from like the Hobbit, um, from Lord of the Rings. And it was a person brought a Hobbit army uh, and they had this, the the sign uh, that Bilbo puts up. And they had that as their army list. It was like the <laughs> coolest thing. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, that that was kind of uh, a deficiency on our part because we did we did transfer the scoring of theme from the players last year to the tos this year. Uh-huh. Uh, we did we did make up a matrix of uh, how to score it or guiding the tos on how to score theme. Uh-huh. Um, but we didn't really let the players know enough about what we're looking for specifically that your physical army list is part of that score so essentially like every player did not get those points like i think one like a very very minimal number of those points were given out um like if if a hundred points could have been given out we gave out like 15 points of the hundred yeah you know? it was very low. so so we we need we need to communicate that better next year to the players that that this actually affects the score that you get so yeah. if you're going to give us your army list on the day of the event that you just scribbled on the back of a piece of paper with your pencil well you're not going to be getting any points for that yeah like it's yeah that's a and it's a big it's a it's a chunk of the theme points we'll say that yeah i think the person who won theme scored 13 out of 20 <laughs> Like yeah, that's really it was low. very very low yeah yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and the person who won 
uh, to all those who think uh, he doesn't bring thematic lists, was Ronan. Ronan. Mr. Yeah. Ronan uh, the Crusher brought a, a very <laughs> thematic list. It was, it was a very good list. So, it was, yeah. yeah. He, he, he did well. And he was the also the only one to get a 12-0. That's true. No, no, no. That was, uh, that was Brendel, I believe, who got the 12-0. Oh, I thought it was. Uh, I it, thought it was Ronan. I thought he was, killed the moment. No, it was Brendel uh, against um, Charles in the oh, okay. uh, was, roast mutton mission. The roast mutton, where you encounter the three trolls and, and chase after ponies. ponies, chase after yeah. ponies, because ponies are your VPs. <laughs> Our missions just sound totally whack, but they're um, so fun. They're so fun yeah. to play. Yeah. Um, one other thing, prizing. Oh yes. Um, yeah, we got some different stuff going on here as well. Yeah, uh, really quickly, um, where prizing was threefold, we had um, the CBC crates, barrels, and chests, which we laid uh, actual physical representations of crates, barrels, and chests around each yeah. table. And if you got your model in base contact with it, you would take it off the table and you would record on your score sheet that you picked up a crate, a barrel, or a chest. And then at the end of the tournament, whoever scored the most crates, the most barrels, and the most chests got themselves um, a couple of contrast paint pots. So a pretty sweet yep. deal. Like it's actually a way to get um, prizes based on your tournament play. Um, yep. Second was the door prizes. And the door prizes were, you couldn't buy raffle tickets for these. This was a special raffle specifically about things you did to help the TOs in the pregame, like prepay, um, uh, send us list. your army list, yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then if we had two door prizes, one was the Mordor Battle Host, and the other one was Elrond, Master of Rivendell, with the uh, Gilgalad's banner bearer. So big prizes. So, so everybody had a, ch a shot at that, yeah. but like the more things you did uh, that we asked you to do, the more chances you had to, to win those prizes. That's right. And then lastly was the raffle. The raffle. And the raffle was essentially we put out a bunch of prizes and you put like a paper bag in front of each prize. You would buy your own tickets uh, from us and then you could put your tickets in whichever bag that you wanted for each prize. Now, we took it a step further this year. We said there's going to be some stretch goals. If we, if think people, Kickstarter. Think <laughs> Kickstarter, but raffle prizes. If a total number of raffle tickets bought is, let's say, 100 then we put out another prize, 150, another prize, 200, 250. And we actually hit our max. We had, we put out all of our prizes because um, we sold, I think, something in the region of 300 raffle tickets. And yeah. people were super invested in certain prizes. And yeah. it was it was great to see. Well, and and it's, it's, it's a really good way for the uh, TO to do it as well because, like, we spent a lot of money on the prizes. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if people weren't doing the lottery or the, the raffle tickets – then we, we stood to potentially lose a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so by having sort of the stretch goal idea work, it sort of protected us from uh, from a hit, like financially. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the last thing. The last thing is actually the trophies. That's right. Yeah. So That's we right. actually had six trophies uh, for Canadian Shire, uh, 3D resin printed trophies, thanks to... Uh, ben Boomer, who we we uh, commissioned to mm -hmm. to do that. So we had um, we had uh, an STL file made custom for us mm -hmm. uh, for for our trophy, 
uh, and uh, Ben printed them all off for us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, put like a nice felt bottom on them, uh, painted them all for us. And, and yeah, and we, uh, we commissioned him to do that work for us. So that was great. And he ended up taking home the top prize as, a, right. as a matter of fact. That's right. Yeah. And these trophies are unique only to Canadian Shire. You won't find them anywhere else in the OSPGL. So winning one of them is a big deal. And we don't give out trophies for just first, second, and third. We also give out trophies for best sport, for best painted, and for best theme. Yeah. That's so, nice. yeah, that was... Uh, that, that was I, I was a highlight to to give those away right yeah uh and and this year for, for me it was great because normally i i'm the guy that gets stuck doing all the talking um but we had chris there this year mm -hmm. and and he just took to it like a like a fish to water because he's used to doing that kind of thing he's a very experienced to um mm. he, he used he's used to addressing people like that uh in his work so for me it was great i just kind of sat back and did did a very minimal amount of that this year <laughs> which i really appreciate yeah uh, and yeah. i was thoroughly f my head entrenched in the, the laptop frantically getting the scores ready <laughs> yeah 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 so that's that's my goal there that's my focus yeah. and the uh the last thing i'll say uh, about it is is the venue we had like I was really pushing to stay with our venue, our venue mm -hmm. that we've used for the last couple of years. Um, it's a cafe, a small cafe. And uh, the people that ran it before uh, sold the business or mm -hmm. um, I guess moved out of the spot, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we just had like a wonderful relationship with them and they couldn't have been better to us. And, and it was taken over by um, a couple of young guys who are doing uh, like a board game cafe type business. And we weren't sure how things were going to work out because it was like new people to deal with. And um, the, the costs went up uh, and a lot of unknowns. But we stuck with them uh, and it couldn't have gone better. It, we had just yeah. like a great time. They were great to us. They fed us. Um, you know, they, they have like a lot of really good products for the players. Uh, they were absolutely shocked uh, about how much money our, our players spent and how many like crazy milkshakes and, you mm -hmm. know, different things that they bought. So, so they, they couldn't have been happier with, with how it worked out. And, uh, and yeah, now they, they had one little stand of games workshop stuff in, in their store. Mm -hmm they sell a little bit of product and last time I, I went in there like last weekend to pick up the boards and stuff and mm -hmm. and he was telling me oh i've already talked to my games workshop rep and we're going to be bringing in some lord of the rings stuff and you know he's going to work something out for me and i'm like oh dude that's awesome so, that's fantastic so yeah 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 awesome so yeah overall it's looking real good we're hoping to expand next year add a couple more boards a couple more missions and uh we hope to see you at the canadian shire yeah, yeah, I got I got the ideas like flowing now. Oh, I know. I got, like a few ideas. So. Well, I think we all do, and with that three yeah, yeah, printer, we, I'm gonna crank yeah. up some terrain. We're gonna we're <laughs> gonna have to go through the uh, selection process and uh, pick the ones that we're gonna do, or maybe if we're gonna sit a couple of missions out next year. Mm -hmm. All right, we're here for. All that is gold does not glitter because we have some mail to go through.
actually there's quite a bit and so i've picked out a few to go through mm-hmm. uh thanks everybody for all of the emails uh, i say all i mean we've mentioned before maybe about 10 or so um and we'll go through a few of them but these are like kind of lengthy and require some feedback from drew i oh. actually answered the emails so we'll get your response here live on the uh, okay i'm sure remember this is a shooting from the hip episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right um okay here's the first one okay and yep. this is from he who does not wish to be named so we will call him mr underhill oh, <laughs> i like that I like that <laughs> okay here's so here's what mr underhill has to say uh, inspired to type up this long ass email after hearing other people email in. If everyone else is doing it, it must be good, right? Absolute banger of a podcast. Coming from someone who wants to get better at this game, this is easily my favorite. Even better than Green Dragon. What? That is bold. It's a bold um, claim. <laughs> I started MESBG three months ago and hungrily devoured and took notes on your back catalog. It's so good, I almost don't want to recommend it. (laughs) I've got an absolute laundry list of questions, some of which uh, even have required listening, the nerve of some consumers. I know... (laughs) I know you know this, but I want to make clear that I also understand that you are very busy people with zero obligation to reply, slash read, respond, or do anything, even if you aren't actually busy. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I think he overestimates the amount of mail and responses that we get. <laughs> okay, so I think he's got five questions. So I'm going to blast through them all, and then I'm going to read my response, and then I'll come back to, to get your responses, okay? Well, why don't we do one question at a time? Get your response, and I'll give my response. Come on, don't want to blast okay. through them all. Okay, um, number one, love the scenario-by-scenario scenario breakdowns, when is the next question mark ps made me feel a tiny bit better losing to ruffians and hold ground after losing priority so yeah this is i think the second or third person that's commented on our scenario breakdown episodes so what are your thoughts on that andrew well then the notes show notes for the next episode next uh, scenario are done so it's in the hopper uh, and and I'm working diligently on the one after that, so yeah, it's in the hopper. There we've we got go. we've, we've got we a go. couple of episodes before it, uh, or we could just deviate and do that next time. I mean, if if you've got a burning desire to hear the next one, uh, send us an email before we record next, which is in a week. Right on. Um, I answered that, and I said I can answer two of your questions here, and I think we'll save the other three for an episode discussion. One, we haven't done a scenario breakdown for a while. I've spoken to Andrew about it after reading your email as you are the second or third person to mention those episodes recently. We will put another one on the schedule. Unfortunately, we have far more podcast topic right now than we have time to record them. That's very true. 
yeah, to give I some know. to give some context, we have four uh, podcast topics already ready to go. It's just, uh, we just need time. You recording. have four topics ready to go. <laughs> I have several topics ready to go too. Oh, uh, wow. unfortunately, they're really sort of narrative kind of uh, stuff that, like, I don't know. It's not. It's yeah. not the Andrew Forte. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I thoroughly enjoy those episodes, my friend. Okay, I am okay. just. I'm crushed that the uh, the orc warband leader. Uh, got cut down by hobbits while his uh, shaman ran away in the <laughs> <Yeah>. last episode. <laughs> I, I listen, my friend. Your narrative stuff is good. All right. All right. Okay, second question. A bit out there, but would love to see the notes you prepare. Appreciate it might be a bit secret sauce, though. Mm, going to have to keep it with the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. Most, mostly because, as Don would say, it's... Andrew sentences from time to time <laughs> where I'm literally writing the notes and then I'm like, here you go, Don, without any thought of going back over it to look at spelling and grammar and structure. <laughs> and Don's like, I have no idea what you're saying here in the sentence. Please elaborate. Dude, it's like, <laughs> what the heck are you trying to say here? So I replied and said, we do normally prepare show notes. Andrew, Andrew generally writes a huge amount for the main topic and I do all the rest. We follow along with, uh, with that as we record the episode and deviate where it seems appropriate and yeah totally secret sauce and and yeah i'll give some context um generally the show notes range between six and twelve pages just for the, <laughs> yeah. just for the main topic yeah andrew gets carried away when he starts writing stuff oh like that. very much so okay so here we go. Question number three, and this is one that's right up your alley. And uh -oh. he's talking about T3 or T4, so I assume he's meaning tier, mm -hmm. uh, as in competitive tier. Mm -hmm. uh, how important are matchups, i.e. if you think a tier 3 versus tier 3 or tier 4 in a given scenario is a 50-50 all else equal. What about a tier 2 versus tier 3 or a tier 2 versus tier 4, etc.? And then he goes on. 3A. Is this even a question one should think about when playing? Or 3B. Before a game, how do you use the information? This is a tough matchup in coming up with your plans. Wow. Um... Yes, very short answer is yes. It makes a substantial difference, okay? Um, because two players of equal skill level are only going to find advantage or disadvantage in two ways. I mean, there's the terrain, there's the mission. Let's put those aside for a minute and say that they're not factored into this conversation. Either in how you play, whether you make mistakes, and your army. If one of you have, uh, one of you has optimized your army and chosen a tier a higher tier army, like tier, tier two, tier one, mm -hmm. uh, and you're playing against a tier three army or a tier four army, um, you have an inherent advantage over the other. And in many cases, that advantage is substantial. So yes, player skill can overcome it, but the problem is that um, two equally skilled players, you, you're not overcoming that. You're, 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 you're at a disadvantage right out the gate. And I can tell you from my own experience, when you bring suboptimal lists, uh, you are, um, you just don't have the tools to complete the mission. You, you, the, the, your toolbox is lean. So when you're looking at strategies you want to employ, you are very limited. 
and you run into the one thing that you never want to run into, hoping the dice roll in your favor. Yeah. It's never what you want to hope for in a game. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be re relying on good dice rolls, that's for yeah, sure. You really don't. Yeah. And so um, that talks about the, the differential in terms of matchups. Now, in terms of like your strategy, um, if you have the wherewithal to realize that your army is outmatched, like army versus army is outmatched, uh, in some cases you have to sort of figure out what is the optimal result that I can get, not mm -hmm. that I want to get. Obviously everybody wants to win, but if your army truly is outmatched and your opponent is of equal skill level to you, winning isn't always going to be an option on the table. So maybe you play a more play uh, differently, and you play for a tie instead. Mm -hmm. And that, the yeah. way you're describing that is kind of like I don't look at this versus oh look I'm I'm playing a tier two army and he's playing a tier four army. Like I don't look at it like that when I play, but I do look at like because I play very similar armies all the time, i.e. almost all infantry with maybe some of them have a little bit of cavalry or mobility. Um, like, and I've played my armies a lot, so I know what my armies are good against and I know what they're bad against. So I'm not looking necessarily at it as like, oh, my, my opponent has a tier whatever. I'm just, I'm looking at his tools and identifying the ones that I need to be concerned about or the the areas his of his army that I know I can outmatch him in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really all about looking at strengths versus versus weaknesses. And if you have very few strengths and a whole lot of weaknesses, it's gonna narrow your options. And unfortunately, if you've only got one or two options, you and your opponent's smart enough, they can figure out what those options are, and you're pretty much telegraphing your play right from the get-go, and you're playing into your opponent's hands. So it becomes a situation where you really need to have a strong strategy, like a really firm strategy that you're, you're super confident in, mm -hmm. uh, and just acknowledging what is realistic in the situation. And then most importantly, taking away from that game. Let's say you get a tie, let's say you get a loss. Taking away, what could I have done better? Is, is this army that I played against, is this the new meta or is this just an aberration? Mm -hmm. um, and then if it's the new meta then and you're still a competitive player, you need to start looking at what can I do to either tweak my army or take a new one, you know? Um, or if, you know, as I said, player skill can override the tier listing somewhat, um, start thinking to yourself, um, are really top tier players taking this type of army? Um, if not, um, then maybe I just need to get better at my list. Like for example, Don, he understands what he's good at, what he's not good at, but he's really good at playing dwarves. And so because he's so familiar with the army, because he's so good with the army, he can overcome a lot of these, as you say, higher tier armies, but with weaker skilled generals. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I'm really good with dwarves. In my last tournament, I lost three games and won mm -hmm. four. But sure, I get what you're trying to say. Mr. League <laughs> Champ, okay, easy over there. Easy over there. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the last two questions both have like required listening. Um, and uh, it's been a while since I've listened to either of the two items that that uh, Mr. Underhill is pointing out. And I don't think our listeners may have necessarily listened to that. So maybe we'll save those for another time. I think so. 
Anyway, he finishes off Mad Props from London. Thanks, Mr. Underhill. Uh, P.S. You guys are a real inspiration. Don, I hope I can have a hobby that I derive as much pleasure from as you do from MESBG when I reach your level of life experience. <laughs> That's another way of saying you're old. Uh, Andrew, I hope I can do the same with an intense job and eventual kids. So that's it from Mr. Underhill. Well, thank you, Mr. Underhill, for the kind words, the massive praise, and yeah, well, um, uh, the questions. Yes, thank you very much, Mr. Underhill. Really appreciate you writing in as well and listening, mm-hmm. as always. Exactly. Uh, are you ready for another one? I'm ready. From Adrian. Mm. I'm from England, but I work slash live in Bangkok, Thailand. Oh, wow, that's cool. Wow. Uh, hi guys, great podcast. Really enjoyed your content along with the Green Dragon. Wow, a second Green Dragon comment. It's like oh. people love the Green Dragon, as do we all. You know what? They, they're putting us. I think this person's putting us there equal with the Green Dragon. Also, yeah, big also, praise. Yeah, it is. It's big praise. Uh, as a new player, it's a great resource for information on play, army building, and hobbying in general. You often mention wanting listener questions, so here's a couple. Apologies if the first one has been done to death elsewhere, uh, but we are still not convinced we have it right. Okay, Uh-oh. and I warned you about this. I don't recall. Mr. Andrew, so I hope you've done your required reading. I don't recall, I don't remember. Because my answer to this is, hey, man, roll the dice. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you you, and Chris, man, in that tournament, Kane Shard, just roll the dice. I'm like, no, just play the game. The Don't let the rules get in the way. Consult Come the T.O. Guys are killing me here. Okay, here it is. Number okay. one, Sorceress Blast. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. As soon as I read the first words of this, I'm like, oh, God. Okay, in my opinion, the wording of the rule could be clearer as it's somewhat ambiguous with regards to cavalry. Uh If a cavalry unit is the target, forgetting any model it is blasted into, am I right in thinking that it is blasted back D6 inches, is knocked prone, and suffers one strength hit? Comments? Well, it's blasted backwards, D6 inches, knocked prone, and it suffers uh, a strength 3 hit, but you you also get uh, the thrown rider, so you take strength, a second... Strength 5 hit. So it's a strength 5 hit, but you also take a strength 3 hit because you um, suffer the prone rider. Okay, he's uh, got result. more. He's got more. Okay. And because it's a cavalry model, it's treated as having rolled a knocked flying result on the thrown rider table, so in addition, it also suffers another strength 3 hit. So, so far, mm-hmm. it sounds all right to me, right? Mm-hmm. What confuses us, oh, here we go. Here's the crux of the question. Mm. What confuses us is the final sentence, which states, quote, cavalry models are treated as having rolled the knocked flying result on the throne rider chart, end quote. Mm-hmm. It's not clear to us anyway whether the comment regarding cavalry is intended to replace everything before it or is in addition to. We interpret it differently each time we read it. It would be much more clear if uh, before the word cavalry, the rule stated, in addition, cavalry models, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, 
If we've finally got it right, if a cavalry model is the target and is hit by another... Okay, so that goes on to another part of the question. So he wants to know if if the um, not flying result is stacked on all of those other things or replaces it. And of course it's stacked on top of all those Correct. other things. Stacked yeah. on top. Yeah, and they should have said yes, in addition. Yeah. Um, if we finally got it right, if a cavalry model is the target and hits another cavalry model that is in combat with another cavalry model, mm -hmm. what happens basically is what he's asking. The target is resolved as above and both the cavalry model that is hit by the blasted model and the cavalry model it is in combat with are not prone. Both suffer a strength three hit and both suffer a further strength hit from the knocked flying result question mark also because they are all cavalry and not prone they will all have to test for separated rider uh, with only a mount with a courage rating above zero having a chance to stick around question mark so essentially all models take two strength three hits except the model that was hit with Sorcerer's Blast. It takes a strength five hit and a strength three hit. And then the other two models that are engaged in the combat take two strength three hits. If it's a cavalry model. If they're cavalry models, that's correct. Yeah, one from being hit by the flying body of a Sorcerer's Blasted thing, and one from rolling a knocked flying result. That's so correct. Our, so the, the Sorcerer's Blasted model gets thrown into another cavalry model and that other cavalry model is in a combat. So do all models in that combat get knocked down or That's just correct. the one as just the first one? No, all, all models. Get. So whether you are a cavalry model or not in that combat, you are knocked mm -hmm. prone and you take a strength three hit. If you're a cavalry model, you take an additional strength three hit for having suffered the thrown rider result. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. You know, but the interesting thing is that it says cavalry models are treated as having rolled the throne, the knock flying result on the throne rider chart, right? But I believe the throne rider result, that the rider chart can be mited, can it not? So if you're here, you could just mite it? Good question. Mm, good question. These things come up, you know. Uh, what else is there to, that, that goes along that with was, this? There's a question too. Oh my God. <laughs> Let me read this one out and then we can decide whether we want to answer it. Okay, second question. A two-parter regarding Morgul Knights. There isn't much of an opportunity for a Mordor army to get a Warhorn, which with an average Courage 2 Orcs is valuable asset. Putting a 30-point Warhorn on an 18-point Morgul Knight, however, seems pretty extravagant particularly given that the horn is only useful if it's alive which will make you tend to keep it out of the fight 18 point knights uh, all need to be fighting in my opinion much better maybe to take a single or a small group of black Numenorean warriors on foot and give one of them the horn are pardon me are there any circumstances where you would or wouldn't bother with the war horn and 
slash or a banner on these expensive but extremely cool nights? Let's answer that part because then there's the second question. Second well, part. Of I wouldn't question. put a I put, wouldn't put a warhorn or a banner on either of those. I don't know. It's just yeah. So I think those are the only two options in that army that can take a warhorn, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're suggesting that you wouldn't even put one on there. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. So for me, if I was ever to do that, I would I would not put one on a Morgul Knight for sure. It's got a lance. Like, why would you waste yeah. the awesome part of the lance? Yeah, you're because he's right. You want to keep it out of combat, definitely. You're like you're paying a thirty point thirty point cost for something that you're going to throw into combat. No. Um, the other thing there is, you have more effective ways of um, engaging terror causing models, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You have your army bonus, which gives you plus one courage and reroll ones to wound when you have more mo- more enemies or more yeah. models in your opponent. And if you're going to hoard out with orcs, you're going to generally get there. The second piece is you can take black Numenorians, right? You don't have to take a full shield wall worth of black Numenorians, but you can easily take like a half dozen to be used primarily to charge terror-causing models. And if you have more... Um, if you have more models than your opponent, you have a Courage 5 Black Numenorean. That's Elf Courage. Mm-hmm. You don't need any more. Yeah, like, that's solid, yeah. Yeah, so you don't really... And, and even if you have more models than your opponent, you have Courage 3. That's Minas Tirith level Courage. Like, yeah. you don't need the Warhorn. Really, you don't. Yeah, I know. I was like, I, I actually do play Orcs here and there, and I don't know if I've ever taken a Warhorn. For 30 points, I mean, that's a lot of Orcs you can take, and... Like I'm, whenever I'm playing Mordor orcs, I'm always trying to get my numbers up. Specifically, if it's a, a army focused on orcs, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, is where you really want the the horn. Mm-hmm. But like, I generally don't take the horn, and for thirty points, I and you know, if you're looking at spending eighteen points on a Morgul knight plus thirty points on a horn, like forget that. Like I would just take the equivalent cost in additional Mordor orcs. Mm-hmm. Like that puts a, like a lot more bodies on the field. Um, which is going to make your your army bonus um, work even better. Yeah. So yeah, for for mortar, it's definitely don't touch a war a warhorn, um, and flesh out your numbers so that you're always high more numbers than your opponent. Um, for armies like hunter orcs, I could definitely see taking a warhorn because they really have no other way of boosting their courage, and they don't get spear supports. So it's really just you got to get as many models into combat as possible because they all have two mm-hmm. attacks and a strength four. Um, so in that case, having a Courage 3 Hunter Orc is better than a Courage 2 one. So I could see the reason why I do that, do that there. Yeah, and I know Chris, who's on the podcast sometimes, he he plays Hunter Orcs, and he likes to take the horn as well because he, he finds it has a big benefit. Um, just getting those Hunter Orcs, in, being able to get them into combat, um, just because they're devastating in combat. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. I was the one who designed his list, and I made sure that it had a warhorn in there, because yeah. um, I've seen Hunter Orc lists like from Wheel Champion from the GBHL, who's been very successful with a, a Hunter Orc horde, and he takes the, the, the warhorn. Okay, let's get on to the second part of his question. Um, Gondor knights are probably not hard enough to be used as heavy strike cavalry. Better, better for cavalry bonus negating and objective grabbing purposes. So he's saying like, yes, they're cavalry and they negate your opponent's cavalry bonus and they're good at grabbing objectives. 
Uh, would you agree that Morgul Knights are hard enough to be used as a strike unit and indeed should be, especially if led by, say, a black Numenorean marshal mounted uh, with a ring wraith bringing up the rear in support, especially if one of the knights has a banner? Um, I can see why they're taking the, um, the black Numenoreans. Um, you know, the Morgul Knights, sorry. Um, you know, because it's, 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 it's a really strong hammer. Strength 3, it's a lance. They have that critical fight four, which is great, because having fight three on the flank and charging into a fight four army sucks when you <laughs> lose the combat yeah. and your models die. Um, I I feel like that, that idea of, like, Morgul Knights with a banner and a ring wraith behind them is just is probably way too many points in a single spot. Morgul Knights really wouldn't be outflanking. That's not really their job. That's more of, like, an orc tracker or an orc warg. Uh, rider or Morgul Knights really want to be wrapping around the flank with, um, with the battle line. And I mean, in that situation, just f have an infantry model with a, a warrior model with a, uh, a banner nearby to give them the, the banner reroll. That's what I would do. Cause again, putting a, a banner on a Morgul Knight is just way too cost prohibitive. And yeah, yeah. you're bringing the model to, to have lances. That's the whole reason you're bringing the model. Another thing, even being only a few games in, that we tend to agree on is the benefits that a horse gives you for just 10 points is crazy, especially given the Nazgul nerf. We played yesterday and I had Theoden versus Lurtz. Lurtz lost the duel and was not prone and thus trapped, and because Theoden charged, his two attacks plus one for charging infantry became six strikes all of which rain down on alerts. That's an insane level of buff. Even for the 15 points that Theoden has to pay for his armored horse, which would only cost Urkenbrand 10. Um, I like the suggestion of 10 just getting you the extra move and ablative wounds, uh, but would bump the cost to 15 to get the plus one on the charge for a regular horse and he goes on to sort of give some options for costing and adding benefits for some of the mounted rules mm -hmm. um, and he goes on to say in fact i uh in fact if we find it skews our games too much we might even house rule it though i really dislike house rules generally um, and can see why some consider rohan to be the best army in the game what are your thoughts i mean that for experienced players, what he is saying is, is I think one of the common first reactions to the game. Yeah, um, I don't think horses are. I mean, we've already said before, horses are undercosted. Mm -hmm. uh, do I think that they're broken? No. Um, there are plenty of counters to horses, uh, mm -hmm. and I don't think Rohan is the best army in the game by far. Um, what is the one thing horses hate? Arrows. Get more bows in your army. Like, seriously, get more bows in your army. Your yeah. army should have 33% bows. Because dehorsing Theoden, like, destroys his lethality. He's just a fight five model with two attacks. Yep. He's, he's not any better. He doesn't get a strength bonus or anything like that because he's not mounted. Mm -hmm. And um, he's wiffle batting. Like, he's just, he's, he's effectively Faramir. When Faramir's on a mount, he is amazing because he's a lance. Knock him off his mount. And he's like, Wiffle batting most stuff if he's lucky. Yeah. Okay. So lots of sh lots of shooting. Also, 
if you're the the Mordor or the if you're the Mordor player who's playing against this and you you cry foul, you have a fell beast man. Like hurl is such a brutal ability against mounted uh, mounted models. Like charge in, hurl, and hurl combat out to save your fell beast. Like you can knock down a, a fair amount of models in one shot. Mm -hmm. So no, it's 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 definitely a gut reaction that most first timers figure uh, play. Uh, and, and feel um, against mounted models, but honestly, as you get more experience with it and you tweak your lists accordingly, they're they're a challenge, but they're not the end all be all. Yeah, and it's like a little bit stating the obvious, but like when you're playing against a cavalry model and you have like a, essentially an all foot army like Isengard, you're talking about alerts here. Mm -hmm. I was like, you're you're not going to be moving towards the cavalry, and like you're going to be standing still uh, a great deal of the beginning part of the game in order to use your your archery, your shooting, your crossbows or your mm -hmm. um, urukai bows to 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 dehorse these these heroes. Like I, I mentioned before, like I play mostly infantry, and and that's usually what the early game is. Where are well, the enemy mounted heroes, and shoot all of your archery at those targets. Um, the the warriors that are mounted cavalry are far less of a concern. Mm -hmm. I think that that cavalry uh, that are warriors are fairly costed. I think mm -hmm. the the only question about cost for cavalry comes into play when you're looking at mounted heroes. Like when you have a three attack hero on a 10 point horse, yes, that horse can be reasonably costed if you shoot it with an arrow on the first turn, then it's like a waste of 10 points. Mm -hmm. However, if he spends the entire game on his horse, doling out like massive quantities of attacks because he's mounted then it feels really broken for 10 points mm -hmm. so it, it, it can be a bit of a swing in that sense and you haven't even seen really the worst of the offenders which are the elven lords three attacks right on the charge four with a reroll from lord of the west with a reroll from a banner you're throwing six dice generally at fight six plus like, yeah. like, there's no hoping the hoping that they're gonna flub the dice roll so you can win. Yeah. No, it doesn't happen against those models. So that's really frustrating. So against those types of models, shoot the horse. <laughs> shoot the horse. Yeah. Shoot her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and again, um, if you're playing Isengard uh, and you're concerned about cavalry, you need to be putting Frida. Uh, the Dunwood hero oof. in your list. Incredible model. Almost always makes my, my Isengard lists now, mm -hmm. um, along with Gorolf. Uh, two fantastic hero models, neither of which are Urukai, unfortunately, but hey, what are you going to do? Also, you need to invest in some Orc Warwick Riders. They work in, in an Isengard list, and they are fantastic yep. at, snatching, at snatching away the, um, the charge bonus. Yeah, which he mentioned in the previous question when he was talking about... Um, Minas Tirith, uh, Morgul Knights, or not Morgul Knights? Was it Morgul Knights? But mm -hmm. he talked about them uh, removing cavalry bonus. Yeah, that that's one of the really good reasons why you're taking warg riders. It's not only for grabbing objectives, and they're a cavalry model, so they're decent, but also mm -hmm. for removing cavalry bonus. When you have an enemy hero on a cavalry, that's just gonna like rip your hero apart, and you can actually counter charge him with a warg rider and remove all of those buffs. Well worth it. Also, on the subject of Warriors of Minas Tirith, Knights of Minas Tirith, they are not bad. 
Okay, let's back. Let's pump the brakes here and let's back mm-hmm. it up. There are the, the best, like three to four to five models you can invest in your army, hands down. Are they frontline killers? No, they're not. No. Yet, but if you just go pure Rohan or Green Alliance, you have Courage Four. They're phenomenal at outflanking and grabbing objectives. Mm-hmm. They have all the benefits that a Morgul Knight has, except for Terror and Fight Four. But guess what? Um, Boromir of the White Tower with Banner gives you a plus one fight Banner. He can make your more your Knights of Minas Tirith fight four. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you have a fight four Cav charging in with the Lance for 14 points. That is Courage Four. It is really solid. So that's the beauty about Boromir with the Banner. He can be very flexible with that, and he can he could amp up your your Knights of Minas Tirith. What's the other hero? Um... Not Faramir, the guy with the two-handed sword. You're in the tall. You're in the tall. So you a lot of in a lot of armies now, uh, for Minas Tirith, you see Faramir and here in the tall mounted and with a few cavalry. And the cavalry are really there just to act as pawns mm-hmm. and also to leapfrog off of heroic combats with the heroes, right? Mm-hmm. So they they protect your heroes from the counter charge like after you've contacted the enemy line. Mm-hmm. It's good to have those it's good to have those guys there just to help prevent your heroes from being so easily overwhelmed on a counter charge. Mhm. 100% agree. Yeah. Okay, I got a quick one here. Um, I'll just jump right into it, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Hello, fellow Canadians. Mm -hmm. One of our own own people here. Mm -hmm. I just recently got back into the game after about 20 years. Holy moly. Wow. I used to collect when the game first came out, uh, but just dropped off until recently. Been loving the cast and catching up on episodes I've missed. Question for you. What's your favorite model in the MESBG range? It could be ranked because of stats, sculpt, special rules, etc. Personally, mine is Prince Imrahil. When I first Mm. read his description in the books, it was just such an awesome visual of this prince of man being shown as worthy of the bloodline of Numenor by Legolas. Cheers from Alberta, and that was from Alex. Mm, so nice. here's my here's my answer, and I've said this before, um, for obvious reasons, I think. Um, so I said to him, thanks for listening, and thanks again for the email. Glad to hear you're getting back into the game. My favorite hero models in the game are Balin, the Dwarf King of Moria, and Lurtz. I love the whole idea of Balin's failed expedition to retake Moria. Lurtz, I just really like as a very solid mid-level utility hero. I've played so much with Isengard that he's kind of like my right hand. I've actually never played with Imrahil, although I do have the model, which is pretty nice. Thanks again for the email. Hope you're getting lots of games in Alberta. So yeah, like I don't like I've talked many times about how I like those two heroes. I know. Um, I just wish Balin still had his throwing axe. Um, because it would add more utility to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, you gotta, you know, he's live old. with what you got. He's, he's old. He's, he can't throw his axe anymore. He doesn't have as he doesn't have as much lived experience as yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite model. I have mentioned her a, probably more than a dozen times. She was nerfed into oblivion, and she's totally the one who has 
pruned the meta in such a way that it is enjoyable for many. And now we're opened up to a shooting fest that is glad for Lady of Light. Absolutely, hands down, my favorite model. Oh, yeah? Oh, my God, yes. The complete... what, what's the reason she's your favorite? Well, one, the sculpt I have, which was her with her sort of arms up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that sculpt. It looks really good. Um, I've done sort of um, those ethereal contrast washes over top of her to give that sort of that ethereal yeah. light she had just before she um, like sort of uh, blasted away the, the necromancer, Dolgador. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, on top of that, her rules are just so complete as a model. It's like a competent fighter with an amazing anti... She brings anti-everything defense. Anti-shooting, anti-magic, anti-horde with her uh, instill fear to knock everybody away. Negative mm-hmm. one on her courage. Like, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and I've spoken to her at length about many things. And, yeah. Um, yeah, she's definitely my favorite model in the game. Which I fortunately will never be able to use again. Uh, unless I play Rivendell. Um, or I play a super high point level game and I'm okay with Yellow Alliance. Well, you have Rivendell models. I recall that you started collecting them quite some time mm-hmm. ago. That's right. I mean, yeah. she is so good that if you don't need to take more models, don't take Kiridan, take Collateral Lady Flight. Right on. Right yeah. on. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Okay, let's finish off this episode with a little what have I got in my pocket and I'm just going to read out the question that I asked in the last episode because you're now here and I wrote this question for you and nobody answered uh, from, from the last one. So all you people out there that know the answer but didn't write in, shame on you. Come on, let, let's hear your answers. That's right. Yeah, so it's a trivia question which you said you listened to the last episode so you must have heard it so obviously you now know the answer. No. Okay, um, here's the question. This place once endured a siege that lasted 50 years. Mm. Five zero years. Mm. Okay, multiple choice. Was it Fornost or Minas Tirith or Rivendell or Osgiliath? What do you think, Andrew? You're, you're like very well knowledgeable in the lore of the game. Get out of here. That is Tell such, us what the correct answer is. That's such malarkey. Such Which malarkey. one of those places endured a siege that lasted for 50 years? That's a long siege. Holy mackerel. There's two that I'm going to choose, and they're probably not even the right ones, but okay. give my reasoning. I'm thinking either Fornost or I'm thinking Rivendell, mm-hmm. and I'm probably going to go with Rivendell. Probably not the right call, but because I know Fornost was like completely eradicated by the Witch King. Uh, and it took a while, but I'm going to shoot for Rivendell. And the reason I'm shooting for Rivendell is because you read the Cimmerillion recently. And when Sauron wanted the rings of power, he marched on Aragion and Rivendell to get them. And I'm talking about the rings of power. I'm not talking like the, the OG three. Um, he captured all of the uh, the rings and gave them to the men. Uh, and that's, right. what my, my, that's my guess. Okay, final answer? Final answer. Good call, sir. Rivendell was under siege by the forces of Angmar from 1356 to 1409. Wow, that is a heck of a long siege. Mm-hmm. They must have really stored up the Lembus bread for that one. Right? I mean, like, jeez. <laughs> and when you think about it, Rivendell is not that big. How in the heck are you pushing them back? Yeah, I guess they just couldn't get in and they just endured that long siege and... 
weren't able to starve out the elves. I guess, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's all I got for now. I mean, I got more stuff that we can read, but that's a good dose of listener email for this episode. That's right. We can't we can't spoil it all in one shot. Got to no. ease it out. Got to tease it out, you know. <laughs> okay, I got a question for you. Yeah. Okay, so this year is rapidly drawing to a close. Mm. Okay, we're we're well into almost done November now. Mm-hmm. So what I want to know is, Andrew, yeah, are you gonna play a game this year? Mm. Come probably on, not, I'm, probably, probably not. <laughs> I'm I'm throwing down the gauntlet here. You got over a month. Come and like, let's have a game. I'm challenging you to a game. Challenging me to a game. Mm. Yeah. You set the points level. 200 points. Oh, get out of here. If I'm gonna 300 play, points. If I'm going to play a game, it's going to be like 700 points. Get out of okay. here. Well, you know, I, I'm throwing you a bone. If the time's an issue, 100 points. Oh, for God's <laughs> sakes. <laughs> I want to see you roll some dice in anger. Oh, it wouldn't be an anger. It would be like... Enjoy. You, you want to see the boo-boo stink face is what you want to see. <laughs> Let's have our the game with our challenge armies that we were supposed to have Shut over up. a year you ago. No, they're not painted. Get out of here. I don't care about painted. I didn't think they were assembled. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> also, my challenge army would wipe the floor with yours. But anyways. Oh, there it is. Okay, come on. Put your you put your money where your mouth is. Well, I don't need to. I could just shoot you off the table. It's just, it's just obvious. Come on. <laughs> oh, come it's on, like that. Okay, so, okay. Very much is like that. <laughs> okay, we got the banter going. We got the banter. Now let's see you come out with some models and have Wait, a game. We got the uh, we got the sizzle. Now where's the uh, yeah. the substance? Yeah, uh, I'm trying to get your brother to play the game. You, you know? probably will have a much easier time at that. Yeah, we get you out there. I mean, he's a shoe in to come. Oh, I know. He better. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys live like, what, 10 minutes away from each other? Yeah. He's like <laughs> literally almost a stone's throw from my house. <laughs> and now he's got a resin printer and he's he's, he's keener to, to make terrain. He's yeah. like, I'm going to make a table every two months. I'm like, hey, if, if you do it, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing it. Yeah. As long as they're painted, you know, it's easy to 3D print stuff. It's getting it painted is the hard part. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty about terrain. You can always just like... Buy an airbrush, spray it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Any any closing remarks? Well, it feels good to be in the saddle again, yeah. recording, chatting with you. Yeah. You know, I was blown away the last time we were at the Canadian Shire. I was like, "Whoa, who are you again? It's nice to yeah. meet you again after three years." Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we all we were all at our our, our tournament we talked about early on. And mm-hmm. and I, I made sure we got a picture of the four of us there and we posted that up on our on our Facebook page. So if you're curious to see our ugly mugs you can go over there and I, I, I gotta say I gotta say, you know, so with COVID going on the way it was, I was kind of hoping to see all of us, you know, shed some, some poundage, but we're all sporting the barrels. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we all got the boilers going on. That's right. <laughs> ready for the winter that's right storing up for winter all right well it's been that's good right. so so we're going to record again hopefully we're going to be back on track um it's going to be a little noisier with uh andrew's little guy in the background but, but hey 
Bendoberus, he, he comes with the uh, comes with the podcast now. He comes with a color commentary. When you hear that's him in right. the background, he doesn't like what he's hearing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's it for another episode here on North of the Shire. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And really appreciate all your questions and emails and Facebook comments. Uh, keep that stuff coming. Love to hear. Love to hear from everybody. Thank you.